evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. I'm your host, Ian James Wright, and joining me today to discuss By You from 1995's Red Medicine is a music journalist who has written for The Village Voice, Paste, Pop Matters, and was the managing editor at Coke Machine Glow, Corey Beasley. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anna. Uh, thanks for having me, man. It's very cool. I'd like to know about where it all began for you as a fan of Fugazi, and I'm sure there therein lies a tale of uh, uh, how that intertwined with your life as a music writer. Um, so yeah, what's up? Good question. So I grew up in central southern Virginia in a town called Lynchburg, which is pretty conservative as it sounds. Um, but that also meant that I was about three hours south of D.C. So... I was born in 85, so, you know, I was kind of coming up and coming into my own musical tastes in the late 90s. And I was, you know, coming off of, like, getting into pop punk, like Green Day and Blink-182 when I was, like, 12 or 13. And um, moving from there into sort of more complex music and kind of seeing, tracing, uh, tracing musical history backwards and to see where sort of punk rock started. Um so I would spend a lot of time on, on the nascent internet, you know, on allmusic.com and Napster and whatnot, um, kind of tracing influences and downloading MP3s and kind of mapping out uh, different genres and such. And so Fugazi kept being uh, mentioned um, as a touchstone for a lot of different bands that I liked. And um, for instance, uh, the Saddle Creek band Cursive, I was into them, right. had a kind of a post-hardcore guitar sound, and they, they name-checked Fugazi in one song, so I thought, okay, I'll check it out. And um, I was immediately very gripped by the music. I bought, I remember going to the, the mall and buying Repeater, and when that was still a thing you did. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, immediately being very, um, just kind of feeling like, you know, this is, this is what I've been looking for. And then I sort of, dove into the band's discography and the band's um, history and myth, you know, sort of mythos, right? Um, and for me, it was very much an affirmation of sort of who I felt I was as an individual, you know, as a very um, progressive person or a leftist person. I mean, I still am, but, you know, coming up around the politics around 2000, you know, with, with Bush stealing an election and, um, the drama there sort of coming into a political consciousness in that era was pretty fraught um, and also coming from a, a fairly conservative town. So, you know, I felt myself sort of standing apart from, from many of the people in my town. Of course, Fugazi kind of embodied this, this very radical um, independent do-it-yourself spirit with, with a certain kind of leftist politics attached to it. So that was very appealing. And I was also a straight edge kid before I knew what straight edge was. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of heard the term, I got into minor threat after Fugazi, for instance. And so I, I kind of figured out, Oh, well, this is what, you know, Ian McKay was talking about in the song that happens to fit my lifestyle. And, and again, felt very affirming. And I think that I came to the kind of straight edge thing and, and the sort of leftist politics thing from a place of earnestness. And Fugazi, I think is nothing if not a very earnest band. Um, sometimes I think they're pegged as, you know, overly earnest, but I, I do want to talk about that later with this track, but, uh, sure. so to me, it was like 
here's a band that I can project my personality onto. And here is also a band that seems to me to be pretty unimpeachably cool. You know, no one can really mess with Fugazi. No one can really criticize them, I thought. And um, everyone who knows punk rock or even knows independent music will respect this band. And therefore, if they're my favorite band. That's very true. Like, there, there are certain bands out there I've noticed that, you know, people disagree on, people might disagree on whether they actually like them. But there seems yeah. to be just a common acceptance that this band is cool. So like Sonic Youth, the Talking Heads. Um, yeah, Sonic you Youth, can, yeah. And you can take it or sure. leave it, but it's just a fact that they're cool. So, yeah. Yeah, this is a cool band. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, I think you get some contrarian people who, who just sort of point to the band as being kind of, you know, politically boring. But uh, that's more about their reputation, you know, outside of their music, I think. Um, and so... You know, growing up with Fugazi then into high school, um, I got to see the band when I was, I think I must have been 15, when it's one of their Fort Reno shows in D.C., which they used to do pretty much every summer, a free show, um, and saw them there in the time between end hits and the argument. And that was kind of a you know life-changing experience as a young person. I had been kind of someone who had memorized the instrument DVD and sort of had all my favorite um, live sets from them to watch that way and to see them live was, was awesome. And, uh, and then when the argument came out, it sort of just solidified my love of the band. Um, and then I went to college in the DC area. So I kind of got to see, uh, Q and not you and some other discord bands. And it sort of extended that, um, you'd see Ian around at the black cat. Yeah. And so it just became, uh, something that was very, you know, intertwined in my, my life in many ways. And, um, with living in DC for about 10 years too. So were my favorite band uh, when I was a kid and are still my favorite band. That's great. And uh, so when, around when did you start um, trying your hand at music journalism? I started writing a blog, I guess probably now, maybe 10 years ago or so, and um, used that as kind of a portfolio to apply to write for Pop Matters, which is, you know, at the time was a, a very kind of content generating site, you know, for better or for worse didn't pay their writers, but would let you take on um, reviewing assignments and profiles. And it was really a place for me to kind of come into my own as a music writer. Uh, and then I, I, you know, launched into writing for the Village Voice and I moved to New York um, several years ago before they sadly shuttered and uh, Coke Machine Glow, where I was a managing editor for the last few years of that site's existence was always my favorite website um, to read. I remember sort of reading, you'd read Coke Machine Glue and you'd read Pitchfork and they were sort of coming up together as like this kind of smarmy, voice-driven, music critical community. And of course, Pitchfork became what it is now. And Coke Machine Glue, you know, we sort of stayed quite small. Um, And as soon as I was accepted to the staff there, um, you know, I I felt I kind of reached my, my goal as a music writer. And so when Coke Machine folded in 2015, I kind of gave up, gave up the music crit biz, and uh, I can't say I miss it too much, but um, it was good while it lasted. Yeah, I was I wor- worked on the uh, high school newspaper, and I was yeah. the guy who did the music reviews. Um, and I, <laughs> I cringe to uh, think back on it now because I did some oh, absolutely man. awful writing and made some terrible calls <laughs> and had some awful takes. Oh. Um, <laughs> Dude, but same. And my, my stuff is still up there on the internet too. So anybody can Google me and laugh at me. So, 
Uh, thank Feel mercifully, <laughs> I think I was doing my writing like enough pre-internet that it never made it online. Ah, um, oh, it's too bad. So let's hope it stays that way uh, because yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I disavow it all. It's it's interesting to think of like a young writer, you know, before having had more space to kind of come into your own voice without the kind of permanent uh, record of the internet. You know, it's just kind of a different time now. So. Yeah, I I, I often yeah. think that about uh, adolescence in general. Like, t- even if you're not oh, doing man. any writing, who who these kids growing up with uh, all their dumb things uh, uploaded in video uh, form to the internet? It's what a ni- what a nightmare! It's going to be terrible. We're going to have some uh, interesting people with interesting skeletons in their closets running for president <laughs> in like 20 years or so. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm um, looking at you, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, also, um, just to mention, uh, I'm going to put this in the show notes. You sent me a uh, a piece you wrote um, for Consequence of Sound a few years ago. Oh right, yeah. After yeah. Uh, uh, old Donald Day- J. Trump was elected, and um, Ooh, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, that resonated with me because what you say in the article, um, it's similar to, I think, why I started this podcast. Um, uh, it wasn't directly in response to Trump being elected, um, but I'm sure that played a role in why I found myself thinking more and more about Fugazi, just as almost as, yeah. a, as a way to meditate on that and something to counterbalance these uh, terrible forces at work in the world right now so i definitely Absolutely. feel you uh, on that article um and uh yeah readers thanks check you. out the show notes and i'll put a link there yeah thanks very much so uh today Corey, we are talking about our first uh joe lally led song that's, um that's right one of only three in the catalog uh and yeah. starting with uh this album red medicine the band's last three albums all have one joe song on them um, which is yeah. nice. I sort of, sort of makes me think of him as like the the George Harrison of Fugazi in that way. Um, <laughs> he kind of is, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So um, too. Yeah. So yeah, let's hear it for Joseph Francis Lally, uh, one of my favorite bass players. Um, I just want to use this opportunity to you know, since I'm pumping him up, tell my short uh, Joe Lally story, which is uh, I was oh, I was in a band recording at Silver Sonia, which is. Uh, it's kind of a studio. It's it's hard to explain, but basically it, it like shares space with inner ear, and it, cool. it's like they they sort of use part of that as Silver Sonia Studios. Uh, so I was recording there, at, and at the same time, Joe was recording his second solo album, I believe, uh, and oh, yeah. Ian Ian Mackay was producing or engineering it. So both of those guys were in the building, and we would, <laughs> we were just sort of like hanging out in the lobby. Uh, chatting wow. um at one point joe was like um he was you know doing a track and he was like oh i need a i need a bass sound that's different from what i have now so he actually asked to borrow one of my bases to use just to get wow. that different hey, sound i was like <laughs> you, yeah you can you can imagine <laughs> i was like uh, uh by all means mr lally uh, uh here you go. sure yeah <laughs> i i remember wow. it being it was a five string bass and uh I remember Ian being like, what the fuck is this? Like someone to get the wire cutters. Um, so a good time was had by all. Uh, so yeah, I was really starstruck. Um, That's awesome. I got my picture taken with him. Uh, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll upload that too with, uh, with this podcast episode. Um, Please do. So yeah. My, my Joe Lally story is uh, I went to see him play a set in Charlottesville, Virginia after Fugazi had kind of gone on hiatus. And um, 
I was, I saw him coming in carrying his gear and I was so flustered that I didn't hold the door for him. He had to get the door by himself. So, um, <laughs> that's my Joe Lally story. Permanent regret, Joe, if you ever hear this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure he, uh, he remembers that and dwells on it to this day. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he does. Keeps that, him up at night. Yeah. That bastard. <sighs> that guy, man. Come on. Um, so yeah, the song we're talking about is By You, which is of course a song about the Louisiana wetlands. Uh, little humor exactly. there. <laughs> no, seriously though, it does make me think of whenever this song comes to mind. It makes me think of the now defunct Washington D.C. music venue called the Bayou. Uh, right? Do you yeah. remember that one? I do. I do. From uh, my earlier days, uh, kind of going to shows as a as a young college student. Yes. Um, yeah. That's actually the first time I went into D.C. proper from the Virginia suburbs to see a show. I remember my parents drove me. I was probably like, I don't know, 15, 16, something like that. Um, yeah, it was man. the band Two Skinny Jays. Remember them? Sure. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a great show. I had a fantastic time. It was kind of a weird venue. It was like under the freeway. I think it was on, on K Street, but like on way Street, sort yeah. of west under, and it was like under the freeway in a weird way. Um, so that venue, that venue closed in 1999. Um, occasionally I wonder if this song is like a sly reference to that venue, but I'm always like, no way. It's, uh, it's just something yeah, funny to yeah. think about. Um, so you never know. Yeah. So Corey, uh, let me, let me kick it to you to what angle do you want to start with for by you? Sure. Good question. So I, I guess I want to talk first about the way I think the the song is both in one way, in some ways it's an outlier in the Fugazi catalog. And in some ways it fits into a larger pattern in their music, I think. And you, you know, you pointed out to begin with the obvious way it's an outlier is that Joe sings a song. Um, one of three that he sings. And I don't know how you feel about his voice, but I, I find that it brings a certain kind of, um, you know, calmness is a weird way to, to put it, but a certain kind of gentleness to, um, a track that might otherwise have had a more dissonant vocal, right, with the inner Gee singing. Sure. So he's kind of a more he's kind of a prettier singer, purely, I guess. Um, and I think that it's then interesting to think about how the other way that I think the song is an outlier, which is that it's it's really noisy, right? Um, like even for Fugazi, you you started off the the podcast with talking about twenty three beats off, right? And um, I think that's probably the only rival in the Fugazi catalog for, for noisiest track other than Bayou. Absolutely. It's, it's a real track of contrasts. Joe has this subdued yeah. sort of low key voice contrasting with exactly. an extremely noisy and abrasive song. Um, two, two very interesting effects. Yeah. Red Medicine was my first Fugazi album. Uh, right on. uh, I mean, it, it made me fall in love with the band. So I guess there's something to that, but in some ways it's sort of a, a weird, uh, album to start with um and yeah the album really blew my mind sonically between the opening noise of do you like me which is like just me, like yeah. this crazy confrontational way to start an album uh and this song so i i still think of that beginning of do you like me and of by you as sort of like defining signposts of the album um it's i yeah. would say it's my favorite part but it's something that it it really encapsulates the larger feel of the album to me. Um, just this crazy, you know, noise that they were doing. Uh, it's just 
perfect this one in particular is like perfect piss off your parents music you know that's very true as i did listening to it very loudly in the basement actually you know? <laughs> and, and probably piss off um, your dog also at the end yeah at the end right how could you do this yeah yeah you're right it kind of red medicine was my favorite record um of theirs actually when i was uh listening to them when they're still together i don't know that i'd say it's my favorite now but it does have a certain quality to it right like it is sort of a strange record for them but then on the one hand it's it's very poppy on the other hand it's quite noisy and strange um you sort of get a full full fugazi spectrum there that i really appreciate yeah absolutely uh there's there's just downright catchy things there's weird experimentation um yes yeah. sort of it's a good it's a good sampler platter for fugazi yeah 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 that's a good way of putting it, like an appetizer yeah i um i do think that uh the way that Bayou fits into sort of a, a larger pattern in Fugazi's work is um, we can kind of talk about the lyrics. I mean, they're, they're pretty strange, even for Fugazi lyrics. But it seems to me to be at least somewhat about uh, taking issue with Gen X, right? Generation Fuck You, um, which is something that I think the band also explores in, in a song like Target, Um you know, sort of hating the sound of guitars, as Guy says, and, uh, you know, taking issue with these young um, punk bands who are making a lot of money, maybe. And uh, to me, that, going back to that kind of sense of earnestness I was talking about at the top of the show, um, Gen X is not known for their embrace of uh, earnestness, right? It's sort of a more ironic sensibility, and that, that in a way, seems like the opposite of Fugazi's ethos, right? Hmm. Um they don't, you know, if, if Fugazi is the ultimately is an ultimately earnest band, then I can see why uh, they would take issue with irony, like Ian Ian talks about that or sings about that in Facet Squared in that famous line. Um, irony is a refuge of the educated, right? And I kind of see Bayou as exploring similar themes that way, um, which for me, like I said, you know, earlier is what made the band so appealing to me in the first place is that they are, you know standing for something pretty unimpeachably cool uh, and not afraid to kind of make that known, I guess, if that makes sense. So that's that's very interesting that you think this song has its sights set on Gen X. Um, I sort of read the whole thing a different way. So I, yeah. I just kind of want to, before I say say what i think like do you want to speak on do you want to speak on that a little more your interpretation of like how some of the lyrics uh fit into that interpretation i think uh the first line you know that the generation line is is the main uh thrust there for me because i think after that the song becomes to me i guess almost it, it seems to be about submission you know sort of um uh being sort of ground into submission almost to the point of, of suicide where I've always taken, you know, the note left in your hand is by you as a suicide letter. Interesting. Um, yeah. And, uh, I kind of see the, the rest of the song being kind of a, a narrative in a way of, about struggle hand over hand over hand. Maybe you're climbing a ladder or pulling at a rope. So some general impressions there for me, it's a very imagistic track, you know, even for, Fugazi, I think it's it can be uh, one of these songs you look at lyrics and you think, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, but definitely. I'd be, I'd be very curious to hear what you think. Yeah, what do you, what do you, what's your take? Well, I was my best stab at it was I thought this was more of like an anti-boomer song. Um, ah, where so the general idea being 
um, almost almost as a almost as an answer to my generation by the Who. Um, yeah, boomers were at least I mean in popular imagination sort of the like original counterculture generation. Uh, what yeah. with the um, you know hippie culture, uh, the summer of love, all that stuff. Sure, um, late sixties, yeah. And and yet, as that generation uh, grew up, this is something we're lamenting in pop culture right now. <laughs> with uh, and how, yeah, um, <laughs> they did not turn out to be a generation that really fought for justice. Um, yeah, uh, and so you have lines like you know. Like, you're in control now, right? You're in control. Like, you don't know. Don't say you're mm. along for the ride. Um, don't act yeah, like... Yeah, you're driving. Yeah. Uh, ah. And so, yeah, generation fuck you too. So, like, that's... When you, when you think of my generation, that's sort of like a, you know, fuck yeah. you song. Why don't you all just, you know, teases teases that. Um, and I, I so I see this song as kind of a 80s punk kids answer to that right it's like we're yeah. a generation fuck you too and it's it's like um i'd say the first little stanza there define redefine you'd make them all the mm-hmm. same but molds they break away it's almost a feeling as if the boomers assumed that their form of rebellion and their values were just going to be carried forward like you know we we created yeah. a revolution this is how it's going to be from now on um and i mean clearly looking at what happened with punk in the eighties, that's a huge difference. Absolutely. So yeah, it's partly that partly critique of, you know, when, when these people get into power, um, they have, they have a chance to really do something. Um, but that's not happening. And I mean, I think that's hugely, you know, we were talking about the Trump administration. It's so relevant now where it really is. We, we keep seeing these people in positions of power acting like they just have to go along with things um, yeah. when they could be standing up for what's right. Like, it seems like oh, the best anyone will do is, is like, quietly resign from their position um, yeah. when they could be making a bigger difference, maybe. Well, first off, yeah, do you mind when we hang up if you will go back and edit it so that I'm the one that's <laughs> saying that? So that, my <laughs> so that has actually my interpretation. I like that a lot. I'm going to change my tune. Um, it makes a lot of sense. You're right. And, and uh, to define and redefine, you know, breaking mold, sort of breaking out of a kind of conformity you know, that you might see in, in uh, the boomer generation post-Vietnam. Uh, um, and uh, I think it makes a lot of sense as kind of a reaction to, uh, to the old guard of activism that, that sort of petered out and let itself be co-opted into um, – you know, the comfortable lives that boomers live that people of our generation probably will not be able to live largely. Uh, certainly aren't living right now. Um, yeah, a good line for that is, uh, it feels so good laying down, I won't get up again. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, man. Sort of speaks to, of that to me. I guess I also, on the other hand, Fugazi was always pretty critical of even people in, in the sort of uh, punk or independent scene, DIY scene, being, uh, you know, showboaters without real sort of activist credentials or doing real work like in song number one or or other tracks so i guess there is that subculture criticism but i think your your broader reading makes a lot of sense to me no i was i was gonna say exactly the same um fugazi certainly was able to look within their own uh their own scene and and criticize people Um, absolutely also of note 
uh, technically speaking, I I just looked this up before we recorded. Um, oh yeah. You know, generations, the, the divides between generations are pretty amorphous, and uh-huh. um, but I mean, if you want to go by the technical definition, Joe Lally is a boomer. Is a boomer. Oh, said it so. <laughs> so, so it's you know it's less about that specifically than about yeah uh, to me a, a sort of person who was once anti-establishment and is now uh, firmly entrenched in the establishment. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's it's a sort of complacency that you know once the boomer generation finally passes the torch, you know, I guess not in this presidential cycle anyway, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Once they finally do, then you know this, you could you could see listening to this song twenty years later and feeling the same way about whatever generation is is then kind of in their fifties and sixties and might be sort of more complacent yeah. um, in in terms of pushing pushing things forward in more in a more progressive way. Uh, good call to arms, yeah, right on. And sadly, although I sort of like this interpretation that I've come up with, the <laughs> I mean the only thing that is. Um, is troubling me is the title line um, of of that note. The note left in yeah, your hand is by note. you. Yeah. Uh, I do not have a solid interpretation on that. So uh, I'm I'm. Uh, I mean, this you know, suicide note is definitely resonates with the language of that line. Uh, I I can't figure out how exactly it fits in. Um, yeah, it's also well, of course it's... there there are a couple of ways you could read that right. Um, the note mm-hmm. physically left in your physical hand, um, mm-hmm. but of course, uh, sort of an in your hand is sort of a more old-fashioned way of saying your handwriting. So the note, oh yeah, right, in your hand. Yeah. The, the note in your handwriting is clearly that means it was written by you. It's like evidence that you have done yeah. something. Um, it bears all the hallmarks of you having done it. I'm just not sure what that thing is. Uh, yeah, may, like, maybe just the the general political consequences of these people mm-hmm. being in power. Yeah, like you say, I mean, it could be, you know, here we have what you've written in your hand uh, of your former beliefs, right? And then, you know, here we see that you sold them out. I, I sort of, the suicide letter, it was the passive voice to me. It was the note left in your hand, you know, sort of left there, sort of stillness, um, but taken into that broader context, I think you're onto something again. You um, should have a podcast, man. <laughs> I want I want to open, you know, uh, invite people as I usually do to uh, chime in on the Facebook page and uh, see if yeah. you can help me interpret that. I'd love um, to see it. Certainly, uh, to talk about the music a little more. Um, sure. I I had noticed that it's a little bit. Uh, the, there's so much crazy noise going on that it's almost hard to concentrate on what the actual music is. Uh, mm-hmm. But the underlying riff, I was just thinking, reminds me of Mountain Song by Jane's Addiction, um, or just Jane's Addiction in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that same sort of uh, same sort of progression, I suppose. Yeah, um, it's it's got a kind of, um, I think of a song with Joe's bass line, and then when Ian and Gee aren't kind of, you know, wiling out, and they're kind of playing a more straight riff sort of interlocking loops really like a kind of um uh you know joe's baseline like you say you know kind of just looping around as a kind of um calm sort of repetitive force in this kind of storm of noise right but then ian and gee sort of doing that uh 
rising and falling sliding riff that they do along with the bass line. Yeah. Um, and then in the middle of that, you have Joe's voice, which again is kind of a, a sort of focal point of calm that allows you to kind of find a, a place within that squall to uh, kind of sit inside of it a bit. Um, and I wonder if that's why he sang the track. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to but, say. I, I mean, from what I understand about Fugazi's process, it just sort of they would write the music collaboratively and then almost sort of when the music was totally completed, somebody would step up yeah. and provide lyrics. So, Probably yeah, who lyrics, knows? Yeah. yeah. I do think um, you know the feedback outro for me, well, you do, one interesting thing I think you see them, you see a bit of it in the instrument in the video or in the movie where they're recording that uh, that outro. You see Guy and his Rickenbacker getting that kind of like a long feedback note, and then it's about an hour in, and then uh, he's talking as the band is recording the track, and he's sort of saying, you know, last time I did this note, it was like this time you couldn't hear it; it was totally fudged. And so I find it really interesting that even with this kind of noisy chaotic uh moment in a in a fugazi song they're still very precise about it right like they're still want to get the precise kind of noisy dissonance that they want which i think is great i was just going to say this song more than probably any other fugazi song i find myself wondering like how many takes did they do yeah uh, yeah you know? right on because they were they were so great at feedback, but I mean, it's feed controlling feedback is like an imperfect science. It didn't always come together <laughs> this gloriously, you know, live. It's true. Um, and yeah. also, you know, if you, if you listen to the very end of the track, there's this like studio noise. It's like someone shouting. They're shouting. Yeah. It kind of sounds to me like triumph at a great take. Like, Holy crap. That was so great. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can, you can see them do that in instrument too. I think it's, yeah. they're yelling. Yeah. He's yelling at the instrument there. And, uh, <laughs> I find that, you know, that, that the moment at the end of the track where both guitars feedback sort of become synchronous. Oh my God. It's like a very satisfying kind of feedback ASMR, you know, like, oh, <laughs> what a relief. It's finally kind of syncing up. I really like that a lot. It's so beautiful in, in such a strange way. Like that, uh, yeah. uh, I mean, it's something that you almost would never call beautiful except in that context of this chaos of noise then coming together. Uh, yeah, and then that perfect singing note, and then that sort of melts into a more like dissonant chord, which also sounds great. Yeah, yeah, it really I, does. I, I remember feeling like, um, you know, when I first listened to this album, it was so different from things that I had listened to before, I, and yeah, I, I wasn't sure if I liked it. I probably didn't like it at the time, and I remember feeling like it went on forever, like what is going on but now listening back to it it just seems so nice and compact really um yeah it's it's uh it's like the stairway to heaven of feedback noise you know stairway to heaven solo <laughs> is what i mean like it's it's well structured yeah. uh it's it almost like tells a story um yeah it, it has peaks and valleys i mean it kind of has an arc to it yeah absolutely yeah. were uh, are, are you a musician did you ever get into messing around with uh, playing guitars and feedback? I'm a dilettante, you know. I kind of play a lot of things very poorly. But um, my, I guess the instrument I'm best at, my first instrument was bass. So, uh, you know, Joe was always kind of a, a hero of mine in that way. Um, someone who could make a, 
bass line that was very hypnotic and rhythmic, obviously, and that seemed quite simple. But then when you go to try to figure out how to play it, you're like, what is he doing? Is he playing a chord here? What's mm-hmm. this progression? Um, and Bayou is a little bit like that, too. I think he's playing chords, right? But uh, yeah, Joe was, was always my dude. So, um, uh, But that also means that Ian and Guy and their, and their guitar playing always was sort of mystical to me. I'm like, you know, I don't, how do you, how could you make any of those noises? I have no idea. Um, yeah. you're, you're a guitarist, you said. Well, I was, uh, I have played more bass in bands than I have guitar. Yeah. So yeah, I, I sort of consider myself to have the, the soul of a bass player. Um, yeah. first and foremost, no matter how much guitar I end up playing. Um, but yeah. I mean, I did, I did have a guitar uh, back then, and even though I couldn't really play it well, I did. I had this compressor pedal that had, oh, yeah. you know, it has a sustain knob. So you crank that sustain knob, and you can <laughs> kind of mess around with finding feedback sounds. So this song really inspired me to, you know, I'm sure do more like stuff that pissed off my parents. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's and, what punk is for too, you know. And from like watching Fugazi, you know, I noticed that uh, they would put their um the headstocks of their guitars up against the amps yeah, to help them, them the do the feedback stuff so i would do that yep. and just you know just mess Very around cool. making terrible sounds in my room it was uh good times yeah man you're you're avant-garde you know you're sort of uh <laughs> before your time yeah uh copying fugazi before it was cool <laughs> i wish it would come back i wish more people would copy fugazi for real these days you know well yeah. sp- speaking of which um i was uh, looking around on YouTube for if there were any covers of this. I don't think there are any. No, I don't think and, so. Which, you know, immediately it sort of makes sense. Like, how do you cover this? But, I mean, right. I think when you think about it for a while, I think this one's ripe for opportunity because underneath all this noise, I think there's a really nice melody that exactly. could be brought out to the front with a nice cover. Like, if somebody wanted to be creative, dispense with the noise, just really dig into that melody and bring it out. Um, yeah, I think it, yeah. it'd be a really great cover version to do. So yeah, um, at the heart of the song, it's a pretty, it's a pretty kind of melodious, gentle riff that you could you could make something out of. I agree. Yeah, that'd be a cool take. Get on that internet. Yeah, come on, guys. I was uh, before we talked, just kind of going through um, YouTube and seeing live versions of the, of the track. You know, and there are a few. I know that it, if you go to the the uh, Fugazi Live Series website and search for the track, it's one that they played quite a bit. Yeah, um, I looked this up too. It's surprisingly commonly played. It's actually the fourth the the, the fourth most commonly played from is it really? Red, from Red Medicine. From Red Medicine. Okay. Um probably I was theorizing that Joe singing it maybe had a role in that. Like uh yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Ian and Gee sort of not not to just give him something to do, but to be like, Yeah, we need a break. Uh so well, let's let I Joe think I read that. Yeah, I think maybe it was it was Joe Gross who, who you had on the on the podcast too, right? Um, in his book, he was talking about yeah, Ian and, Ian and Gee get to take a break, and Joe can sing a track, and they can breathe a little bit, which yeah, makes maybe. sense. I'll have yeah, to go yeah. back and reread his book and go back and rewatch Instrument because you you do seem oh, yeah, to man. know that thing pretty well. I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually watched it in years. I should really. Oh, you should. I'm gonna. I had a VHS copy, so I have to download it or yeah, get a DVD or something. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's you know they're recording Red Medicine when they're making the movie, so that's kind of most of the studio footage is is from this record, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went to to the old social media to uh, uh-huh. try to solicit a little bit of of um, listener feedback. Um, so Abu Coleman from the Facebook group says. 
Uh, he thinks Bayou is almost psychedelic noise, similar to Spaceman 3 or 13th Floor Elevators. Have you listened to those groups? Spaceman 3, I know. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah, I I wasn't familiar with them, uh, and I, I looked them up, and immediately I was like, oh, okay, I, I see it. Um, it you seems like they see made it, yeah. a couple albums with some pretty different sounds, um, but some of the yeah. stuff I was listening to, I was like, oh, absolutely, I can I can see this. Yeah, yeah. 13th Floor Elevators, not so much. I think like it's an older I don't know them sort of like proto psychedelia kind of kind of band gotcha. um so yeah interesting stuff thanks for thanks for that I'll be diving more into those bands for sure uh yeah yeah seeing what's up I'd like to, I'll check them out as well I did notice too I was I was going back and looking at um uh reviews of the record that came out when it was released and Bayou was was usually called out uh as one of the highlights and also you know it tended to be tagged as kind of psychedelic so it's interesting Hmm. um hearing that influence yeah yeah cool well um all right with all that said i think it's time to jump into ratings oh boy yeah uh is this going to be an easy one for you to rate out of a uh, from one to five stars in this in the context of the fugazi catalog it's it's tough you know it's hard for me to give anything less than four and a half, you know, I'm kind of a, like, how could I do that? But I'm going to say, um, four and a quarter Ooh. for Bayou. You know, uh, I was going to go ahead and give this four stars, but I mean, I, I have not established any rules about the fractionality <laughs> of stars that we can award. <laughs> I'm taking advantage. Um, I guess I'll, I'll probably just stick to whole and half stars for myself so i'll I'll stick with four like it's it's not one of my absolute favorites but it is a song that really defines fugazi for me at least part of who fugazi were as a band Um, absolutely it's it's just it's crucial to their uh to their identity it's a song that probably you know if i were watching them live and they start to play this it would get me particularly excited it'd be Um, sick yeah so yeah those are some of the hallmarks of a four-star song for me um, yeah, so, it feels yeah. important. It feels important to them. I agree. Yeah. Um, Big ratings right for this on, song. Yeah, by you. Good work, Joe. Excellent work. So, um, with that said, let's talk about some plugs. Never mind what's Where can listeners oh, reach you? Sure. Do you have anything sure. come up you want to plug? Any writing you've done recently? I'm plugless, man. I mean, you can find me at Corey Beasley on Twitter, but I'm usually more over at the CMG Coke Machine Glow account, which is CMG Zine. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, anybody want to drop me a line, talk about the band, I'd be just thrilled. Uh, I made, you know, I was bored in quarantine recently, of course, here in New York, and I made uh, a Fugazi bracket that I posted on Reddit. You know, I saw I that post. Bra- yeah, that was, that was me. So I was thinking, you know, okay. I spent a lot of time with seeding the tracks, you know, figuring out what's a one, what's a two, so... <laughs> you know, that's that's one thing people can do if they're bored uh, on the subreddit for Fugazi. Otherwise, um, yeah, catch me online, and I, I appreciate the time, man. It's nice to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Um, you, now that I know that it's you who made that, uh, I might go ahead and put in the effort and uh, do that myself. Um, oh, dude. I don't have a ton of spare time these days, but yeah. it, it did strike me as something fun. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good time. Whip out some kind of basic photo editing software and I guess uh, do that. Yeah. Like, Cool, man. All right. So as for me, you can reach me at Fugazi A to Z at gmail.com and join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi. I'll be posting some more threads about upcoming songs that I'm recording. Uh, try to let you 
get the chance to chime in if you have anything to say. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the show when we will be discussing cash out. Until then, keep your eyes open. Thank you.